I'm going to read a passage from the book of Acts. And this passage tells, well, the book of Acts describes sort of the birth of the church, the first church, the early church. They were located in various and sundry cities. Paul writes letters, as do other apostles write letters to those cities. But the book of Acts sort of aggregates their stories and tells us of how the church is born. The passage, however, that I'm going to read to you is where the followers of Jesus are first called Christians. My sermon is entitled, Why We Are Called Christians. It is a variation of a teaching sermon I offered some years ago. I modified it yesterday, and I hope it still holds some significance and helps you on your own faith journey. From the book of Acts. Now those followers who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. The hand of God was upon them, and a great number became believers and turned to, the, to God. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, which was the center church. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many more people became followers. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who of course would become Paul. And when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This ends the reading from the book of Acts. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. I know I've told you a couple of times about my college nickname, but one time... I was at a play in the city, and it was intermission between the acts, and I heard something that always makes me nervous and cringe a little bit. I heard, hey, goose! Uh-oh. I knew it wasn't anyone from church, right? I knew, because you would have said, hey, Reverend Dr. Goose, right? <laughs> so no, it was, yes, one of my fraternity brothers from college. And I thought to myself, you know, sometimes we really are known by different names in different circles, in different settings. Claire, my wife, for instance, is basically one of the only people who calls me Richie. I'd like it to continue that way, because it is a touch embarrassing to be called Richie at the age of 59. But a nickname is just one of the ways in which we're known, of course. There are a host of other ways that we identify ourselves. You might say, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm an Independent. Or you might say, I'm an American. Or you might say, I'm an Italian-American, an African-American. Maybe you say, I'm a banker or a teacher, a mother or a father, daughter, son. Lots of ways we identify ourselves. But have you ever looked in a mirror and said, I'm a Christian? 
Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. Probably not, actually. But you know what? Neither did the early followers of Jesus. Because as the book of Acts records, in Antioch, the disciples, for the first time, were called Christians. But here's what scholars tell us. It's likely they despised the name. They didn't like it at all because it would have been said with a sneer. You're a Christian. The I-A-N at the end of Christian simply means belonging to the party of. The party of Jesus or the party of Christ. Before that moment in Antioch, this band of women and men were known by lots of different names. Of course, we sometimes we still call them disciples. They called themselves that. It simply means a learner, right? A learner. And while the name Christian only appears in the Bible three times, disciple appears 300. And that's in the New Testament alone. And also early on in the church, because it was small and must have felt much like a family, those early disciples often referred to each other as brothers and sisters, a tradition that continues still in plenty of Christian communities, but in particular is strong in the African-American church. In other settings, the early church called some of their people apostles, right? And that's not a highfalutin name. It simply means one who carries a message, literally carries a message. And in this case, a message of God's love, of God's forgiveness, of God's radical justice and mercy. And you can always remember that an apostle means someone who literally carries a message because it gives us our word postal. So disciples, brothers and sisters, apostles, and there were still other names, one of which, for instance, was a Nazarene. That was one of the earliest names. Named after the person, of course, they followed who was from Nazareth. But they never called themselves Christians until Antioch. Because I told you it was almost assuredly a derisive nickname used only by outsiders. Sort of like me saying, you, you, Cubs fan you. It's been a rough couple years for the Sox, okay? Bear with me. So as strange as it may be, calling someone at that time a Christian, first in Antioch, was still likely a put-down. But what did someone imply then as the name began to take hold? What did someone imply by calling someone else a Christian? Well, yes, naturally, it's a follower of Christ, of the party of Christ. But what does Christ mean? Now, I've shared this with you numerous times, but it's always important to think about this. I always teach it with our confirmation class. Christ, as I remind our confirmants, is not Jesus' last name. If there had been a phone book in Nazareth, you wouldn't go there and look up Christ, Jesus to find out where he lived. Christ is a title. It might be better to call him Jesus the Christ. And of course, it's from the Greek word Christos. And Christos is the Greek word, and in Hebrew, the word is Messiah. Messiah and Christos 
are identical words and they mean the anointed one. The anointed one. They do not mean king or lord. Christ, Messiah, Greek, Hebrew, means the one anointed with oil. And in the Jewish tradition, the ritual was to anoint a leader who had been touched by God with oil. So it's probably also important then to remember, as long as we're considering what a name really means, is that Jesus wasn't what Jesus was called. As strange as it is, that's the Latin version of Jesus' real name, his Jewish name, which was Joshua. Joshua literally means God saves. So over time, these followers of Joshua the Christ became known as Christians, first in Antioch, right? And the name stuck because today there are about 2.3 billion people who could look in a mirror and say that they are a Christian. Now that's all the history, but that's probably not as important as the question that flows from the history. What would it mean if I were to look in the mirror and to say, I am a Christian. Well, there were probably lots of responses, but this is a personal one. To say I am a Christian is a confession of faith. And for almost 2,000 years, one of the foundational statements of the Christian faith is to say that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, touched by God. Now, we can hold widely divergent understandings of what it means to say that Jesus has been touched or anointed by God. But what unites those widely divergent perspectives is a central affirmation of the church, that Jesus, Joshua, is the Christ. And here's what I think is essential to that claim. I believe that to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ is to proclaim the primacy of love. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to have a demand for radical justice and mercy, especially for the underserved. To proclaim that Jesus is the Christ is to insist upon forgiveness and to affirm the equality of all human beings without reference to race or gender or sexual orientation, ethnicity or nationality. The confession that Jesus is the Christ, who's been touched by God, it's not, in my mind, some wishful thinking, some abstraction, nor is it even an elegant theory or idea. But to say that is a call to live our lives in that way. In Antioch, you and I were first called Christians. But it's not enough to simply call ourselves Christian. You probably remember that in about the first 300 years of Christianity, in much of the Roman Empire, it wasn't always the case, but during most of the empire, the emperors persecuted Christians. It was illegal for 300 years or so to be a Christian. And I've always loved what Madeleine Engel once wrote about that. 
She said, I like to ask myself as often as I can remember to, that if it were illegal today to be a Christian, that is, if, if I were arrested this afternoon for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? That's a great question. If arrested as a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Well, here's what that evidence might have looked like in those first 300 years. A non-Christian observer of the church, he was sort of a bit of a spy for one of the emperors, Hadrian. His name was Aristides. And he wrote back to Hadrian, the Roman emperor, about the Christians that Hadrian was persecuting. And he reported back and he said, it's strange, but they genuinely seem to love one another. And they show their love by never failing to help widows or orphans or someone in need. He continues, if one has something, they freely share it with one who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they welcome him or her into their home. And then they call that person brother or sister. He continues, if there's not enough food to go around, they fast themselves for several days and make sure that everyone has something to eat. And Aristides concluded his report by saying, you are dealing with a new kind of person here. What well, may have been illegal to be that kind of person. And we know those new, that new kind of person was known by many different names. Some call them Nazarenes, some call them learners or disciples, but in the end, in Antioch, we were first called Christian. Some lost their lives because they followed Joshua. And you know what? If someone was willing to sacrifice their life to live as a follower of the Christ, we then, at the very least, should be willing to live our lives with enough evidence to convict us as a Christian every day. May it be so. Amen.